This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Tuesday Buckeye Talk. Doug and Nathan, we're going to briefly talk about the national title game. I am in Bloomington because I drove outside the Indianapolis gouge zone because I didn't want to pay three or five or seven or $900 for a hotel. So I drove until the hotel rate started with a one. So I forgot, Nathan, that Bloomington is west of Indianapolis, though it is not east. Of yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, why aren't you staying in like uh, Crawfordsville or, well, actually that would still be, that'd be just northwest. Why aren't you staying east of Indianapolis? All right, 14-year resident of the state of Indiana with your geography lesson. How about a, a, a 14-hour person with familiarity of maps? It's been a long week. So I was driving like at 3 it's o'clock Tuesday. last night. I was, I was driving at 3 o'clock in the morning after the game, and I was like, am I going west? Why is Bloomington east of Indianapolis between Indianapolis and Columbus in my head? And it is not in actuality. So I have a long drive back to Columbus uh, Tuesday afternoon. But we want to talk a little bit about Stetson Bennett, because we have to. But we're also going to talk about Justin Fry and Brian Hartline. And then I want to, we want to talk about, I think, on the Wednesday pod, bigger impressions of this SEC title game and what it told us about. It was, it was played in the Midwest. What did it tell us about football in the Midwest and where the Big Ten and Ohio State specifically is and isn't competitive with the SEC right now? But we're going to save that for Wednesday. I want to do a little more research into that. So let's just start real quickly from the national title game. I, I will just say, Nathan, and everybody, you can go find the College Football Survivor Show. It's going up Tuesday. Uh, Shahan and I already did a 50-minute podcast wrapping up the national title game in whole and sharing all our thoughts uh, about what happened there. And Normally, the Tuesday pod's only for Apple subscribers. Today, it's free for everybody. So go find it wherever you listen to podcasts. The idea that for no reason, no reason, I just started doing a hackneyed impression of an SEC quarterback last year for no reason. Why? We don't cover Georgia. Why would I do that? He hadn't, I mean, he was three and two as a starter last year. It was nothing. It's not like Coach O when he won a national title and it was everywhere. There was no reason for me to do it. I feel like I fueled Stetson Bennett to a national title. I never, I mean, I can't, I don't think I can ever do an impression on this podcast again, because I was getting text messages last night during the game. They're like, Doug, you're all clear. Keep mocking Stetson Bennett because he's he's terrible. And then it was like, nope, he's a champion. So, I, and, I, that's I would, not, and I'm no longer nine and three, Doug. I'm Stetson Bennett, Doug. It's like, what are the, I added to the list of the dumbest things I've ever done. It's like, make fun of a guy who won it all. Look, in the era of name, image, and likeness and, and people finding new ways to 
you know, monetize their influence and their brand, I think you should probably solicit donations from other like walk on or buried on the depth chart quarterbacks to start doing completely uninformed impressions of what they may or may not sound like based on their name and their general region of the country and see if that lifts them to greater heights. I can't believe it. And I was like all like for three quarters last night. I was like, I'd bench him. I'd put in the other guy. All I did, I had my own special. I had my binoculars. I had my own Stetson Bennett cam. I was just watching him on the sideline the entire game, talking to JT Daniels, talking to the coaches. Like, oh, my God, are they going to take him out now? Would Nick Saban have taken him out by now? And then he just drops a 40-yard bomb right in the bucket. It's like, nope, they're good. I mean, just I've never really – I can't remember the last time there was such a 180-degree turn from, oh – what was that? The 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 fumbler wasn't it, which they called a fumble, and the Alabama guy recovered by accident, barely staying in bounds. Alabama takes the lead, and you think, oh well, that's going to be like the lasting disastrous um, impression that we get of Stetson Bennett, and then he's like, oh no, hold on a second, I'm just going to be Peyton Manning for the fourth quarter and start zipping the ball downfield. Nuts. And they come out th- th- that next drive, they come out, they call five straight yeah. pass plays. <laughs> yeah. It's like completion, pass interference, completion, sack, 40-yard touchdown dropped in the bucket. Unbelievable catch by A.D. Mitchell, by the way. Like, ridiculous catch. Great coverage. That was like a perfect drill of corner receiver play. Both those guys did their jobs, and Stetson Bennett was like, oh, boom, drop it right in. So remarkable, and and I do think, and I, I – when I wrote my story in the wee hours last night, nobody's reading it. It's like, oh, my Stetson Bennett story on Cleveland.com isn't getting a lot of traction. <laughs> a, it's like, oh, I drove all day and I went to bed at four o'clock in the morning and got four hours sleep so I could write a Stetson Bennett story that nobody – but so I could talk about it intelligently other than the multiple podcasts I'm on. So that's worth it. You should have dictated it, though, in the Stetson Bennett voice and just put posted an audio file. People – that is <laughs> – People be listening to the crap out of that. Write it in the first person. I was on the sideline with the doubters all a flutter. So, it's, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. But, so the four quarter. so Nick Saban, and we talked about this on the playoff show, but I want to dig into the Ohio State side of it here. Nick Saban, in the eight years of the college football playoff, they missed it one year. They missed it the LSU year. They have three titles, and they've lost in the playoff four times. And the four quarterbacks that Alabama and Nick Saban have lost to are Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, two Clemson dudes and Cardell Jones and Stetson Bennett and Cardell Jones and Stetson Bennett are not dissimilar quarterbacks, but yet they are different in a variety of ways. One of which is like Cardell Jones kind of showed up out of nowhere right at the end of that season. And Stetson Bennett has been here forever and just like wouldn't go away. But it is interesting. um, Nathan, it's like, I, I I thought maybe we had gotten to a point of, you know, do you have to have a great quarterback to win a national title? The answer is yes. And it's like, okay, well, maybe just have like an awesome, 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 awesome defense and a quarterback who does enough. Cardale, though, I do think the way Cardale played in 2014, some of the throws he made on a more consistent basis, some of his his runs that we remember, you know, he he did play at a really high level with the things he did in that playoff. But I think the one thing that is true is – Against a team like Alabama, you you have to find ways to be explosive, right? 
here and there, at least. It's hard to grind it out. And that Cardale Jones, big runs, throws over the top. They found ways to be explosive. And Georgia, they get the giant run from James Cook at a critical time. And then Stetson Bennett gets like half his passing yards in the game, practically, on two throws, the George Pickens bomb and the throw to A.D. Mitchell. And so maybe, I guess, you don't have to be Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence if you have a lot of other talent around you that, again, if you were to run them through Ezekiel Elliott and Joey Bosa and all the talent on that Ohio State team, then you start running through Jordan Davis and Kobe Dean and all the talent on this Georgia team. But you have to make a couple plays like that, Nathan, which we talked about all year with the Ohio State offense versus the Georgia defense. Same thing against the Bama defense. You've got to be able to drop something over them. And Stetson Bennett did it twice. James Cook did it once, and that was enough. Yeah, and I think that the other thing that happens in a game like this, or especially in that matchup, is Georgia was going to need to get some explosive plays on defense. Now, not explosive necessarily. I mean, they ended with an explosive play, right? Like, that was kind of the capper. That was really the exclamation point at the end of the game that finished this off. But, like, getting to uh, Bryce Young after not being able to do that in the SEC championship game, I thought was a a crucial element of this game. um, Stopping Alabama in the red zone a few times by getting pressure on him and taking him down and and putting them in the long-yarded situation, making them settle for field goals. I thought those they weren't explosive in the same way that like a 40 yard gain is because you're only like losing eight yards or whatever with a sack. But cumulatively those I thought added up to in a, in a a different kind of explosive way that the the Georgia defense was still laying the foundation that Bennett could then have that success on. So I did think there's, it's an interesting eight seasons of the playoff. The first one was Cardale. The last most recent one is Stetson Bennett. Both beating Bama, obviously Cardale not in the championship game, but I, I think there are some interesting comparisons there and ways that you can win without Justin Fields, Kyler Murray, Tua Tonga Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence kind of guy at quarterback. The other Ohio State story out of that game is, I mean, what a remarkable Jamison Williams season. As it turns out, he winds up being a guy who whose team loses consecutive national title games. He's on the losing side both times. Last year with Ohio State against Alabama, this year with Alabama against Georgia. But his value, again, one of the best ways to find someone's value is to remove them. And with John Metchie already out, we saw the way that Alabama used Jamison Williams against Cincinnati. They kind of used him as the John Metchie as like the more of a possession receiver. But that 40-yard play, Again, you were going to have to do that against the Georgia defense. And then for Jamison Williams to get hurt might be an ACL, devastating. Um, like, does Bama win <laughs> if, if Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt as great as Bryce Young and Will Anderson are? Man, it's like Bama couldn't really function without Jamison Williams this year. He is absolutely one of the most important transfers of the portal era yeah it was funny before the game um a text thread that i have of just some buddies none of whom are in you know sports media were conversation was kind of going amongst them like oh this is just gonna be why are we watching this like repeat of the sec championship game and what's gonna possibly be different i'm like well one of the things that's different is the health has shifted a little bit 
between these two teams. I think Georgia's gotten a little healthier. And as you mentioned, like Alabama was already dealing with some things with Mechie and on the offensive line and stuff. And then I think once you threw Williams uh, into that, um, his one of the things, I guess the best way, one of the reasons why people thought they might have a chance to beat Georgia was because of Jameson Williams, the connection that he and Bryce Young had. And it was almost like the chief thing that this offense had going for it. And once you could take him off of the field, I, I think that Alabama, it didn't look the same. They had some successes. They had they had a couple, I thought, yeah. some, some important moments. Like right after that, where Alabama, or where Georgia kind of sold out to to um, fill the box, and then they just threw to the tight end over the top of that. Like that was a really smart play call, but it was going to be hard for them to sustain against Georgia's defense, just talented as it was when you take a playmaker like that off the field, in addition to the other people that they were missing. Jamison Williams, as soon as he went down, everybody associated with Ohio State. I know uh, for some fans, I think there's a little dissonance because I know Jamison Williams had a quote this year that was sort of like, I don't even remember what it was exactly, but I think it was about Ohio State fans are like, oh, you know, I'm Bama guy now. Guys are going to say what they're going to say when they leave. But clearly he has this connection with, you know, Brian Hartline's tweeting, Mark Pantone's tweeting, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Terry McLaurin, Paris Campbell, KJ Hill, all the guys, all the receivers, everybody associated with Ohio State who knows Jamison Williams is immediately tweeting in support of that guy. He's going to be a first round pick. Obviously, he does have an ACL that will affect his draft status to some degree. You know, again, we've talked a lot about I've jokingly and not jokingly talked about like Garrett Wilson to the Browns and could that work and the Browns are picking 13th and I actually think that there's a decent chance there's at least some chance that Garrett Wilson will be there at 13 but one of the reasons I thought that contributed to that is you could find some mock drafts where Garrett Wilson is not the first receiver taken Jamison Williams is and I think for instance for the Browns they need a Garrett Wilson type more than like just sort of like that pure speed deep threat like Jamison Williams so I was like okay well if I saw some mock draft from a day or two ago. It's like, well, Jamison Williams went like 10th as the first receiver. And then that makes Garrett Wilson more plausible for the Browns at 13. So, you know, guys recover, they move on. Certainly it could have some impact on his draft status. But for that guy to go from doing very little for Ohio State last year to being an absolutely indispensable part of a Nick Saban Alabama team is a, a testament to the talent in the Ohio State receiver room and a testament to Jamison Williams and and all the credit in the world to him for taking, you know, making the decision to leave. I do think in the end, it's like Ohio State kind of had to make a choice and they sort of stuck with Jackson Smith and Jigman and some of the other guys in that room and I think sort of made it clear like, hey man, I don't know. Jamison Williams went and found a home and boom, and he had about as good a season as you could have. So uh, best of luck to him. And um, I do think I think the more and more, Nathan, that we get in the portal era, this is even happening. I know I was talking to some people here at the national title game sort of about Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman and kind of what's going on with that. Um, you know, that Marcus Freeman quote about I think the story he wrote for the players to be another go. I made a mistake, whatever, sort of like picking Ohio State instead. Of Listen, guys are just going to go and say what they're going to say at their new place. Right. I mean, they've got to. You embrace your new place. I thought Ohio State fans, they were able to navigate. Everybody navigated it really well. That Joe Burrow is still embraced by the Ohio State fan base almost entirely, uh, despite going to LSU and winning a national championship there. You just got kind of got to find a way to do it. 
you know, with Jamison Williams, with Marcus Freeman, like guys go on and they go somewhere else and they're all in at their new place. And sometimes they may say things that seem unnecessary or whatever, but they've got, they're trying to show they're all in at the new place. But I think try to take your cues from the people in the program, right? That clearly the Ohio State people, the players and coaches and staffers there still feel a connection to Jamison Williams. So I think fans can take a cue from that. Listen, all the former Ohio State players, they love Marcus Freeman. I think fans can take a cue from that. And, you know, Ohio State still has a lot of good people here and wish these other guys best of luck in their new spot. Yeah, I, it's, I, I noticed this even over the weekend. Darian Henry Young announced he's going to Kentucky, guy who went through the portal from Ohio State a couple months ago. And, you know, and, and Ohio State players are retweeting that. And you can tell that there's just genuine good feelings about their buddy who's moving on and now he's going to get a better shot. He wasn't really getting a shot at Ohio state. Now he's going to get his shot. And uh, you know, I, I think you put it, I think that's a good way to put it. Take your cue from the way that the players react to these things. Cause honestly they have more at stake than you do as a fan. Like these are the guys that they're out there working with and busting their butt with. And when they leave that in theory, it's, it's the guy next to them, taking off and would do they treat it as an abandonment or do they treat it as, Oh, that's just a guy taking the next step in his life to go do something else. I think that would, is a, a healthier way to look at it. But the way that I, I feel like Jameson Williams has been really from the time he left, as far as the people in the program, the people on the team, there seems to have always been genuine good feelings. I don't think there was people knew why he was leaving when he left. It made, there was, there was, especially to go to a place like Alabama, it wasn't like he left and went to um, Missouri. Uh, not to, I'm not trying to dump on um, those who have gone to Missouri because th- that, that made sense for them too. But you know what I'm saying? Like they weren't going yeah. to, to Tulsa. They weren't just going to some, they weren't going down a level to try to dominate. They were, you know, still staying at, um, you know, they were, it was actually kind of an up, it was, they were going to an even higher level. And, um, I, I had a conversation this morning with Gene Smith about uh, other things. And as we were just sort of bantering at the beginning, he was like, Hey, have you heard the latest on Jameson Williams? And like, he was trying to find out like there there's, there's genuine good feelings for him in this program. And it was, it was sad to see it in that way because you feel like everything he had gone through and um, everything he had accomplished to, to get to that point And then to not be able to finish it on the field is unfortunate for anybody. I do think we have a, a podcast to do relatively soon in the off season, sort of about portal stuff. Cause I know Sab- Nick Saban in the process, I think of, of the preparation for this national championship game made a comment about, listen, we probably need some transfer rules because otherwise, you know, people are going to dominate or whatever. And I think people, I definitely saw some backlash to that as like Nick Saban, why don't you like shut your hole or whatever, right? Like that. Hey, like let the, let the players go where they want to go whatever what are you complaining about i will say though i understand what he's saying because i think he really is offering it as a warning to college football because it feels like i I know some people we we didn't know which way the portal was going to have the greatest impact was it going to be backups at the best teams going to a step below to start and raise those teams up or was it going to be good players from the second tier teams going up to the top tier schools. Right. And I feel like it is more the top teams are benefiting the most right now. It is not evening the playing field. It's not. 
and and Jamison Williams isn't exactly that, but like Brandon Joseph, who was who we talked about on this podcast, who was the preseason Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, was an All American at Northwestern in 2020, leaves Northwestern after this season, goes to Notre Dame. So what's the result of the portal? Northwestern's best player, maybe wasn't their best player this year, but he's probably their most talented player, leaves to go up. So, like, is that is that good for competitive balance? Is that because there's the competitive balance discussion is part of it. We can't ignore that. But I that's what Saban's saying. That I think Saban is saying, like, listen, man, I just think we might need a little more legislation on this. Or I'm Bama, I already am winning, but now every single time I have any slight little hole in my roster, I'm just going to get a Jamison Williams in a nanosecond. And there goes that, right? So that, like, I don't think it was shut your hole, Nick Saban. I thought it was like, he's right. He's only, the portal's only going to make him better. I don't think the portal is going to make Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State and Oklahoma worse. I think, I think maybe we thought that, but I don't think that's how it's playing out so far. Well, as I'm going to repeat something I said in a different context a couple weeks ago. I feel like it's a difficult analogy to try to make with Bama because Bama is just such a different animal. And I don't think there was the transfer portal was never obviously about talent distribution and um, about from a general sense, right? From from a that across the country that they needed to sort of like spread the wealth a little bit. It's about individual decisions and. My counter argument to what he's saying is Michigan State, which ends up being a top 10 team this past year, largely on the back of bringing in a big group of transfers and um, a team that had had really fallen to the bottom of the Big Ten. All of a sudden now being you know a couple weeks to go in the season, they're in contention to win a Big Ten championship and they end up being, you know, a, a, a New Year's Six Bowl and all that stuff because they went and used it transfer portal effectively. So I'm not ready to even say that I'm seeing a big trend one way or the other. And the other thing that is complicating this is you still have right now this cabal, for lack of a better term, that's picking the four best teams every year. Once we actually get an expanded playoff, that changes this dynamic again. And I'm, I, I don't think you want to like choke off opportunities for the transfers that in, in this present reality that could then affect what that future reality is going to be. Although from what we saw the last couple of days, that future reality may be farther and farther into the future. It doesn't sound like they're very close on expanding the playoff right now. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it sounds like we might have four more years of 14 playoffs. So, but also even, but like even so Michigan State's biggest transfer is still a transfer up because Kevin Walker through was at Wake Forest. Michigan State's ahead of Wake Forest in the pecking order of college football. So it's a now transfer they are. up. But, but I, I mean, based off, but program wise, like who's a better football program? Michigan yeah. State Wake Forest is no comparison. Wake Forest might have been better last year because Michigan State was way down, but still it's like, hey, I mean, let's look at all time history. Let's look at recent history. Michigan State matters more than Wake Forest. It just does. The conference is better, and their you're right, you're the conference right. is better. So it's a move up. So I just, I still just think the bigger impact so far are guys going from lesser programs to greater programs. So in terms of the competitive balance part of it, 
we're strengthening the top. We're not equalizing. I don't, I don't think we are so far. And, and I'm not saying we should or shouldn't, but if you thought that was going to be one of the outcomes of the main thing, which is players having freedom to control their careers, then I don't think, I don't think we've seen that so far. It's, it's the strong, the strong are getting stronger. Okay. Let's do a little, not a little bit. We'll do more. We have a whole off season to do this. We want to do Brian Hartline named passing game coordinator, which happened this week. We want to do Justin Fry officially announced as Ohio State's offensive line coach, which officially happened on Tuesday morning a couple hours ago. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. I am officially at that point in the year, Nathan, where I say we'll do that next at a podcast break. I have to stop and think, what podcast is this? So I, I don't think I've gotten it wrong yet, but I was a nanosecond away from saying orange and brown talk. So let's start with Brian Hartline because that's a little older. We've talked about Brian Hartline. Brian Hartline, I thought, had a really good news conference two and a half months ago, whenever it was. It was like, I think the one time we talked to Brian Hartline this season, and we, he got a lot of questions about his future, what he wants, and he, he I thought, was really engaging about that. The idea that he got a promotion in title, and I'm assuming a salary bump will accompany that. From receivers coach to now also passing game coordinator. What do you make of that, Nathan? Well, obviously, there were you know rumored entreaties for his services around the sport in general. We've heard NFL rumors in the past. We heard Notre Dame rumors in this offseason. And I think this was all part of, as much as he says he's happy here, you want to keep him happy here and you want to show him respect. And there's, in order, at some point, in order to give him a money bump, you're probably also going to have to give him a title bump, I think. I, the way it seems like things have operated at Ohio State, like you weren't necessarily going to have someone who is just a position coach who is going to be making, you know, start pushing that million dollar mark. I think he was at 600,000 last year. So you assume this bump probably gets him up. I don't know. He'll be at 750, 800 maybe this year. I don't know if he'll quite jump that high, but it should be somewhere in that ballpark. So you start getting into a place where you're going to have to add this title bump. And maybe this actually does. Maybe it does actually have more duties. Although now, in addition to, so you have an offensive coordinator, you have a passing game coordinator, you have now an associate head coach for offense. You already had Tony Alford as the assistant head coach for offense. And then on top of all that, Ryan Day calls the plays. So uh, the titles are starting to mean less and less to me each time they add one. How much more planning can each one of these guys do, obviously? But uh, it, I thought it was just a, a sign of wanting to keep Brian Hartline here. And even if they, even if you don't think he has one foot out the door, and, and he seemed pretty genuine talking about his how content he was at Ohio State, um, there, there's still a measure of respect that has to be shown here. As it stands, and and we don't necessarily think the staff is completely set yet, I think seven of the 10 current assistants have an extra title on top of what they are because defensively, Larry Johnson is the associate head coach in addition to being the defensive line coach. Kerry Combs is still, I don't know, was the defensive coordinator. He's still listed as that on the site. Obviously, we know that's not really true. Jim Knowles is now the defensive coordinator. So then um, Al Washington and 
Parker Fleming on that side of the ball don't have anything extra. And then offensively, as you said, Tony Alford is the assistant head coach for offense. What's Justin Fry now? He's the associate head coach for offense. Not the run game coordinator, which is what I thought they might give him. Associate head coach for offense. Brian Hartline is the passing game coordinator. Kevin Wilson is the offensive coordinator. So the only offensive staffer, only offensive assistant who doesn't have an extra thing is Corey Dennis, who's, I I officially think his title is, he's not the quarterback's coach. He's officially just the quarterback's coach. He's the JT QBC. So... I don't know. I mean, again, it's whatever, but you know, it's the assistant to the regional manager kind of stuff. It's like, okay, like what is an excuse for a raise? What is real? What is responsibility? What is resume padding? What is your agent insisted on something? What is I'm not coming for the same title? What is I want a better nameplate on my door? I don't know. I might ask Ryan Day a question along those lines. Ryan, you're throwing out offensive titles on everybody. What does this all mean? But like, like <laughs> in the meantime, I haven't had a chance to ask Ryan Day yet. So I'll ask you, like, what does it actually mean? Well, I for to give people context, like if they were hiring the best offensive line coach in the MAC, who also happened to be the offensive coordinator at that place. I think you could hire him to be the offensive line coach at Ohio state and probably not have to give him an accompanying title bump. I think that would be enough of a promotion in and of itself. Um, you know, Greg Stradrava at one point was like the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator at Bowling Green. And I don't think he jumped straight to being the OC at his next job. I think he was just the offensive line coordinator at his next or offensive line coach at his next job. Justin Fry was the offensive coordinator in title at UCLA, even though Chip Kelly call the plays much like Ryan Day does so they had to there had to be an accompanying title with him like you're going it's it's power five to power five there had to be some title that came along with that and I thought maybe it would just be run game coordinator because that's why they gave pass game coordinator to Brian Hartline but this at least on paper looks like almost a promotion of sorts in title right you're not just the offensive coordinator you're the associate head coach for offense which really is what he was doing at UCLA right no, I know, but who cares? But you're, you're just, that's all just words. It is so just words. The it words. Is just what, words. But what do we think it means? Do we think he's going to have more say no. in the run no. game or no. more? Because the one thing. You can't. Like at some point you can't because that's what I was saying before. Like how much extra planning can each of these guys do? Does Ryan Day just like come in on Friday and say like, okay, what'd you guys come up with this week? At some point he wouldn't, there'd be too many other people there planning. Like, I don't think that's how it's going to work. No. But, but. It would make slightly more sense. And also, same thing, like, what what does it actually mean for Heartline? What does it actually mean when Ryan Day – it makes more sense. It crystallizes slightly if Ryan Day is pulling back. If Ryan Day is spending less time doodling plays in his office because, you know what, I'm trusting my dudes. It's still collaborative, but, you know, I'm not – coming in with a notebook filled with game plan stuff for this week at the first meeting and then asking everybody, hey, what do you think of this plan? I'm letting other guys bring more to the table and then we'll all talk about it and I'll add some, but I'm going to spend more time on 
visiting with the defense, having individual meetings with players, d- you know, dealing with the overall culture of the team or whatever, right? I'm going to do a little less game planning. That's what I want to know. I'm not going to pretend that I do know the answer to that, yeah. but we've had questions along those lines. And I do think over the course of your career as, as a play caller, most head coaches get there after being a play caller on one side of the ball. At some point, you pull back at least a little. And if Ryan Day is going to pull back in year four, and then the titles actually are some indication of something, that also would make a little sense to me. It would two points. It would make more sense to me again if there weren't five of them now. But now there's so now that you've given everybody on offense except Corey Dennis some kind of title, what actual influence does any of them have? What actual extra responsibility does any of them really have? But the other point I and it's not even a point, it's just sort of a question, and it's probably not even one you could answer necessarily, is if you if you I I agree with you that I think at some point he probably does pull back. Is he still calling plays on Saturday afternoon, though? And if he is still calling plays on Saturday afternoon, how much do you really, how much can you or do you even want to take the play caller out of the construction of the game plan the previous five days, six days? That That's what is a little bit awkward to me. Like, I understand wanting to, like, pull back and give those responsibilities to, to someone else. But if you're still calling the plays on Saturday morning, you probably should have been involved with every aspect of coming up with the plays that are called. So really, the job that he should be doing none of, none of at this point, is coaching the quarterbacks on a daily basis. And that's the guy that remains the guy with like the least amount of experience and the only guy without a title on offense. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a good point, right? And I don't think he's giving up the sideline Saturday play calling. So to be like, hey, what the what was this Brian and Justin and Tony and Kevin? What was this play you guys came up with when I was when you guys were having that yeah. collaborative offensive meeting on Wednesday and I was actually hanging out with the defensive guys a little bit more and you guys came up with this third down run call that I'm now calling. What is this? I mean like right, you can't have that. Now, also that's not really how it works. But still if, if Kevin well right but if yeah, I don't think they're talking quite like that on the headset as the play clock is winding down uh, every time. Uh, but if you were just saying, you know what, I'm the head coach, Kevin Wilson, our offensive coordinator, is calling plays. If you said that, and now this new structure was was funneling up through Kevin Wilson, and now he's calling plays on Saturday, that I think would be the, a change. But if Ryan Day's still calling plays at the end of the day, you can give everybody a coordinator title. But he he, I don't see him how he backs out of anything during the week as far as leading into that game plan. Yeah, no, I agree. It's interesting. Again, it's fine. The season's barely over. Ohio state has not updated uh, its football coaching directory yet, but like, um, you know, Matt Barnes is still in there. It's just interesting. Joe Bolden, who I think we might've talked about, who's a quality control coach for defense, former Michigan linebacker. He left to go be a full-time assistant at Nevada uh, Billy Fessler, who was a graduate assistant for offense, he left to be, a, I think, a full-time assistant at Akron. Um, you know, it's just like guys are guys are kind of moving around here. Studs gone, Matt Barnes is gone. Uh, what? So Ryan Day, as part of the release today from Ohio State, making it official, you know, had some quotes in there about Justin Fry. Also had some quotes in there about when the Brian Hartline news was announced uh, earlier. Um, what did we make of, of the canned Ryan Day quotes 
uh, about Justin Fry. Any information gleaned from there? And I'm asking you because I actually didn't read the, the about <laughs> four hours sleep. So I'm I'm asking myself. Um, it was it was a pretty brief one. Um, uh, you know, uh, they worked on the same staff together and seen how good, seen firsthand how good he is at developing his players as well as building personal connections with them. I believe he'll do great things here to enhance his room and our offense as a whole. Um, the, the important things being there, um, I have worked, Justin and I have worked on the same staffs together. Um, he's a guy that he's you know, familiar with uh, from two different stops. And um, I'm, I'm just intrigued by, this seems to be a guy who has put himself in position uh, to, to rise in this business. He's been doing this for, you know, since he got out, since he was done with his own playing days as an offensive lineman. Um, so it seems to be a guy probably climbing towards maybe being a head coach at some point in the future. Um, but he's going to have to do some things he's never done before um, and, and have some levels of success that he's not really had before. I mean, they, they've done some good things running the ball at UCLA and now is, you know, how much of that was, you know, being in the Pac-12 and Chip Kelly's um, offensive design and how much of it is what he, what he was doing, developing his offensive line and, and what input he had into the, the offense as the coordinator. I, I don't know. We'll see. But I, as I wrote, I think he, he has some some immediate issues to correct. Actually, well, they're in, the solution has to start immediately. They're really more on the horizon. Like what, what does that 2023 offensive line look like and what can he do between now and and a, a year from now to get that in position to help make sure that team can capitalize on the, the opportunity that appears to be in front of it. I wonder if uh, Justin Fry is on Tom Allen watch a little bit. Mm. Justin Fry is 38 years old. It would make a lot played of- at Indiana. He's like, let me get down the road from Bloomington because the shine unshined on Tom Allen pretty darn quickly this year. And it doesn't mean like Tom Allen is gone now, but stack two more seasons like this one and Tom Allen will be gone. I mean, I'm not saying if they have a bad 2022, but like if you have a bad 2022 and a bad 2023 and it's like, well, that was absolutely positively a like COVID abetted fluke of Indiana looking good. And that is not it. And um, Tom Allen's enthusiasm, I think, really rallied a lot of people. Again, at, at Big Ten, it's remarkable to think about Big Ten Media Days this year. He was talking about how when he got to Indiana, they used to break the huddle with like Big Ten champs or something like that. And he was like, "What are we doing? Like, why are we? What, that's, that doesn't even make any sense. That's an impossible goal. Why? Do, why are we talking about a thing? Let's earn that." And then. Like for this season, for 2021, he was finally going to let them do that again. It was like, oh, yeah, you're terrible. So, you know, they had some stuff go against them. Um, Obviously, Michael Penix getting hurt first and foremost. So there were reasons for it. But that was a terrible year. And, you know, two years from now, assistant to the associate head coach, Justin Fry, with former Indiana player who's having success at Ohio State, might be looking pretty good to the Hoosiers potentially. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised actually with all the quarterbacks that are bouncing around the, the transfer portal. Like none of them has really been linked to Indiana. Doesn't seem like. No, they they got one. They got uh, didn't they get the Missouri guy? Oh, did they? Okay, Mazalek, yeah. I think. So they need, they got that's what they needed to fix. If they can get some consistency at quarterback, they have a chance. And who was it that uh, Nebraska got? Nebraska got the Texas guy. Yeah. Right. 
so that'll be interesting. And then Martinez went to Kansas State, right? The Nebraska quarterback went to Kansas State. Correct. So again, this is, I mean, this is it. mid-tier quarterback uh, free agency. It's hard to keep track of all this stuff. I do like I do follow the portal tracker. I follow like whatever the portal tracking mm-hmm. Twitter account is, and so much of it is like. Old Dominion transfer picks up offer from Austin P. And I'm just like, oh my God, there's too much. Like, good luck to everybody, but like, it's yeah. impossible to track and like, tell me one of five stars transferred to Ohio State. Other than that, like, I'm good. No, no, I have the, the notifications on my phone and just all day it's just buzzing, 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 buzzing with just the mo- Some of them are really interesting and you're like, oh, wow. And, and some of them you're like, I'll, I'll never get that second of my life back. And they add up. Yeah. All right, last quick break. We'll come back and finish this up with Doug and Nathan here on Buckeye Talk. All right, we are back. Um, Nathan, anything else you want to add? Again, you were on the phone with Gene Smith on Tuesday morning for a story you're working on. Anything else that came out of there you want to tell the folks about? Um, So it was – as I texted to people, um, 614-350-3315, People probably saw, and I, I texted about it too and wrote a little bit about it, the, the Brian Schottenstein, Cardell Jones venture uh, as it relates to NIL. And I had I'd been trying to get a hold of, of Brian Schottenstein because I wanted to do a piece just in general on how the relationship between boosters and the, the big donors and athletic departments, Ohio State's in particular, might be changing. And because we're seeing at places like Texas, Texas A&M, other places in the South, Florida, Florida State, that, that we've already maybe seen an influence enter into the recruiting realm. And Ohio State seems to be playing a little bit of catch up. Now, it's tough to say. It, all this happened last summer. It's sometimes it, it seems like years ago now that all this NIL stuff went down with the Ohio legislature and all that stuff. But it was all just within the last, you know, whatever it is now, eight months, six months. And so it is still relatively new, but I'm kind of trying to get at the dynamic between like why some schools were ready to pounce in this allegedly this big money way and why Ohio State is sort of just now putting some things together. Uh, The the crux of the conversation being that Ohio State um, is open to those sorts of sources, obviously coming up around it through its through its network but that they have to be done the right way, which is something that even Sean Steen and Jones were trying to emphasize that they're trying to, you know, make sure all their I's are dotted, T's are crossed, and that they're doing things the right way. Because if they don't, then it it reflects poorly on the school and is counter to what they're trying to accomplish. And uh, that there is still, though, some some gray area here between what a athletic department can do or say to help maybe facilitate these things because they it's it, it all has to be done through um, sort of putting out the bat signal a little bit, both to their donors and then the donors kind of in turn putting out the bat signal to the players that they're trying to entice to come to Ohio state. There was a, a thing in our food court in our mall for a while. I think it closed that was called donor. It was like a German restaurant where they shaved like lamb off a big hunk of lamb right there. They like shaved it off with a giant knife. Um, would you eat shaved lamb in a food court? Um, so like a, like euros? 
Yeah, but like that they sliced it like like I hadn't been around like having someone shave the meat off a giant like thing that's hanging right there in front of you, like other than like a Brazilian steakhouse when they come and shave it at your Yeah. So it was like the shaving, I guess. But I guess, yeah. But it was yeah. I would probably go eat Panda Express instead of lamb shavings at the mall. Because I my my expectations for Panda Express are a little bit lower. It's it's weird when you see something that looks like it should be deluxe in a non-deluxe environment. Does mm. that make sense? It's like I, yeah. I'm not gonna like just go get like a uh, a shrimp cocktail at the mall from just like a kiosk. You know what I mean? Like it, I, I expect it has to. It, it's out of place, and it makes me doubt the quality. I guess it's not German. Is it Turkish? Donor kebab is a type of kebab made of meat cooked on a vertical rotisserie. Seasoned meat stacked in the shape of an inverted cone is turned slowly on the rotisserie next to a vertical cooking element. The operator uses a knife to slice thin shavings from the outer layer of the meat as it cooks. The vertical rotisserie was invented in the 19th century Ottoman Empire and has inspired similar dishes such as the Arab shawarma, Greek gyros, Canadian donor, and Mexican al pastor. So, who wrote that? That's a, this is a gigantic Wikipedia entry. Who writes the gigantic Wikipedia entry? Sort of about like random things like that. Who is it? A staff, or is it legitimately just like somebody who's like, uh, I just think people want to know about this, and I have a lot of knowledge about it. Do you know? I think in that case, it probably is uh, someone who works in communications for those for that company. Like they feel like, well, we have to have a Wikipedia page, and it should be robust, and it should tell people who we are. It is robust. I guess it is kind of German, also. In Germany, the donor kebab was popularized by Turkish guest workers in Berlin in the early 1970s, and there's a citation for that. I just I can't Wikipedia man again. Not again. It's like like I always say about Wikipedia. It's crazy, right? Um, can, I, can I tell you my favorite Wikipedia entry of all time? Um, yeah. and since we've taken this completely off the rails. So do you remember Bob Hamlin, who was, I think, the yeah. 1994 American League Rookie of the Year as like a 32-year-old bespectacled chubby guy, like one of the, the great like one-year wonders in baseball history? His Wikipedia page uh, has the usual stuff at the entry, and then it goes to playing career. And then it has like a subtitle high school and college and it starts. And this tells you like who probably wrote this. Cause this might've been written by Bob Hamlin himself. It starts after a long and illustrious career in the Randolph little league. <laughs> like, like is, this first citation? <laughs> is there a citation with like Randolph little league stats to back it, that up? No, it doesn't. And it should have like a little like citation needed. Um, first of all, like how long can your little league career be? Did he like start playing Little League at four and then played it all the way up through like 12? He was just like such a savant that he started when he could first pick up a bat. And then also like illustrious Little League career is quite a leap. Like by what standard is a Little League career illustrious? Are you going to flag it? Are you going to like? Oh, no, I love it. I want it to I want it to sit there for all eternity. By what standard is a Little League career illustrious Wikipedia? I do love Wikipedia because it's like probably right. 
It's one of those things, right? You can't do when you tell your kids in school, you can't base your report off a Wikipedia entry. But if you're just talking on a podcast, you certainly can. But I also like that it is, I like that it is, um, you know, put together by the people because you can, you know, it's just an interesting way to like, you know, combine this information. But then I also like it for when people like to just like sprinkle in malfeasance. Like uh, for a while, the Wikipedia page for the show Property Brothers, which is uh, it's Canadian reality uh, thing about uh, real estate. And it has these two brothers, uh, Drew and Jonathan Scott, but somebody was going on the Wikipedia page repeatedly and changing it to say their name was Drew and Jonathan Property, like they were the Property Brothers. And somebody would change it back and then they would go change it again. And it was just like this back and forth that went on for a while. So I like just the, the malfeasance of it. Chicanery. Uh, yeah, Wikipedia is America. Okay. Um, we'll come back. We'll talk about lessons learned and uh, this week. And then w- I didn't send it out yet. I didn't send it out yet. Uh, but we are. I do. We will do sort of a wrap up, um, best of Ohio State season kind of stuff. And again, we hope to get some time with Ryan Day slash Jim Knowles slash Justin Fry slash anybody new that shows up uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. And then we'll start. Then we'll start transitioning to. Uh, what's ahead for next year. So for now, we'll be back on, we'll be back on Wednesday and, um, and we'll try to do start some of this year end stuff later this week. For now, for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.